as we begin our reading in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parenting is probably one of the most humbling activities on the face of the planet. You start off full steam because you have the energy of being young, and that is a real asset. I know from having grandkids spend the night, I can have one grandkid spend the night and it will wear me out faster than raising five children did when I was young. But you have the advantage of extra energy when you're young, when you're first getting started. You have all this knowledge because you've seen all the ways that your parents did it wrong and you're determined to do it right. But soon you start to realize it's a little bit more difficult task than what you thought it would be. In fact, I would say that as I've thought through looking back over my years of parenting and stuff, I would say that, well, I'd put it this way. To the firstborns, we're sorry, but you're kind of an experimental child. We're, we're trying out our, our philosophies, which we were sure were good. But we, some worked, some didn't. But we loved you to death. And we spent a lot of energy, but we lacked the experience. To the lastborns, the babies of the family... Well, I apologize to you too, because uh, we were just too tired by that time. <laughs> Your other siblings wore us out. <laughs> we still had the greatest intentions, but we lacked the energy by that time. The kids in the middle, if you're in a larger family, the kids in the middle, you don't have any excuse. You got it pretty good. You got to benefit from some of the experience that they gained on the first one and some of the energy that they no longer had by the end one. But by the time you get to the last one, you're using phrases like, you got to pick your battles. <laughs> they should come with a manual. The good part about it is we come to the Word of God today and actually we do have a manual. Now, it's not detailed to every last detail, but we got a lot of great principles within the Word of God that help us in raising kids. And that's what, as we look at Ephesians in chapter 6 here today, that's what we're considering, is we're considering this family life. Because he's going to talk about the relationship between the parents and the children. I kind of wrestled with what to call it. And I just kind of settled on family life because that's what the, these four verses themselves are detailing is how this relationship is going to work between the parents and the child. And, and so that's kind of what it describes is family life. But I thought, you know, well, maybe I should call it Christ-honoring family or the Christian family because remember the context that it's in. The context goes all the way back to chapter 4 where it says that we are to walk in a way, in a manner, that is consistent with who we are in Christ. And so we're trying to operate our families in a way that is honoring to Christ. But then as we continue to follow that greater concept of walking worthy, we got to a point in chapter 5 where it told us in verse 15 to walk in wisdom. And boy, if we don't need some wisdom when it comes to parenting, amen? I didn't hear you. That's right. We need wisdom. Well, we're in that greater context where he says we're to walk in wisdom. And part of walking in wisdom is being filled with the Spirit, which he then hits in verse 18. And one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is submitting ourselves one to another in chapter 5, verse 21. And then he begins to talk about, well, what, how does this, how, what does submission look like within the family? What does it look like between a husband and a wife? And we looked at that last week. And then what does it look like between a parent and a child? And that is right where we are. And so I thought, well, I could have called it a Christ-honoring family. I could call it a wise family. I could call it a Spirit-filled family. And it's when in the midst of all of that, trying to live out our Christian life, our Christian calling. 
walking in the wisdom that God has for us, being filled with the Spirit, submitting one to another. Now, how does that specifically look between parents and children? Well, the first thing that we see is it's broken down into two areas of responsibility. And I do find it interesting that he deals with the area of responsibility going to the children first. Now, one thing that's, that's really refreshing to see is that the Apostle Paul writes this, and notice it's directed directly to the children. The Apostle Paul knows that when he sends this letter to the church in Ephesus, that the church in Ephesus is going to take that letter and they're going to stand up in their church service and they're going to read this letter from the Apostle Paul. Now, since he can address the children directly and say, now to you children, that means that he knows the children are going to be in that service. And you know, that's pretty cool. I love that. Because now I've got nothing against junior church and children's church, and I think that can be an effective ministry. But you know what? I also see a lot of value to having our children in our services. I know that they're going to bring a little bit more noise and stuff like that, but that's great. My house wasn't completely quiet when I was raising kids, and I didn't expect it to be. You want to know why? Because kids were part of the family. In our church services, it's not going to be completely quiet. You want to know why? Because our kids are part of the family. Now, the word actually kids for children there isn't limited to younger kids. It actually is directed to sons or daughters in all the age spectrums. But it's usually what you think of first when you think of it. So, Mally, are you listening? That's good. Because the Apostle Paul was writing this just to you and Justice and, and, uh, and other kids that are, uh, that are in the service. And he spells out their responsibilities. You know, it's a good thing for children to know that they have responsibilities within the homes. Right? We do this. Don't you have chores for your kids? Things that they were responsible for? Taking out the garbage and doing different things? They hated those things, but you knew that they were an important part of their life for them to feel part of the responsibility of the home. Well, they need to know that they have a responsibility too. To the, not only the home, but to the relationships within the family. The children are also responsible for the relationships within the home. They're responsible for how they treat one another. They're responsible for how they respond to their parents. The first responsibility that children have deals with right actions. Because he calls them to obey. He said, children, obey your parents. There's no real rocket science to the definition of the word. We all know what it means. It just means to do what you're told. Obey your parents. And that's what children's primary responsibility is twofold. First of all, they're to obey, and then also they're to, to honor. And we'll get to that one in just a moment. But you know, there's a lot of confusion in our society these days talking about children's rights. In fact, there's some outright and very blatant plans out there within our culture trying to dismantle the traditional family, trying to remove the authority of the father and the mother within the home. And you know what? They're really not all that new. They've been escalated lately. But I was reading some stuff just this last weekend about all the way back into like 1977, there were groups that were blatantly trying to get children basically liberated from their parents. And and you know what? It's just not to be done. God created the family. And He did it for the reason, for the parents to have that impact on their children. And in order for that to happen, the children need to submit to their parents. Jesus did it not too long ago. We talked about how Jesus grew in four different areas and how He grew in wisdom, so mentally and in stature, physically, and in favor with God spiritually and with man, socially. And we talked about how that's a good formula for how we want our children to grow. Well, it's kind of interesting. If you look at the passage right before that, 
You know what the context is, that Jesus' parents took him to the temple. Well, they had to travel to go do that. And then they're traveling back and they're traveling with relatives, the, the aunts and uncles and cousins and, and friends. And on their way traveling back, they thought Jesus was, was, was with the other kids. And so they kind of lost track of him for a little bit. They got a day and a half out before they realized he wasn't there. They turned around and went back. So by the time they found him, it was three days later. And, they, and Mary confronts Jesus and says, what are you doing? Don't you know your father and I were looking for you? And Jesus kind of cleared something up for her a little bit. He says, well, well didn't, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? Now, obviously, the father that she was referring to was Joseph, his stepfather. The father that Jesus was referring to was God. And so Jesus said, you know what, don't you think that you would find me here, that this is where I'd be taking care of my father's business? He clearly understands that he, at that point that he is the son of God. But it's interesting that the very next verse after that, it says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so you see, what this is saying is that the Son of God, Jesus, knowing that he is the Son of God, still became submissive to his mom, Mary, and his stepdad, Joseph. And because of that, He grew. It benefited his life in these ways. And I'll tell you, young people, if the very Son of God benefited from listening to his mom and dad, then you will too. Well, not only did he tell them that they had an action to do, which was to obey, he also told them they have an attitude. He tells them to honor their father and mother. To honor means that you communicate value, that you value them. That's the attitude that we need to have. You know, I look back as a, as a child, and there were a lot of times when I obeyed, but the attitude of honoring was not the best. I was grumbling, complaining. Looking back, the things that I did when I obeyed my parents, they were to my benefit. Later on, looking back, and young people, you can learn from this. Later on, looking back, I have nothing but appreciation for my parents. I am so thankful for all the things that I didn't want to do that they made me do, and so thankful for all the things that I did want to do that they wouldn't let me do. Because it really helped to shape my life. It really helped to promote, just as they were trying to do, responsibility within me. That command to honor my parents, even though it's a lot easier to do these days, is still just as much there for me as it was for me when I was younger. Jesus told the religious leaders of his day, back in Matthew chapter 15, he said, He answered them, Why do you break this commandment? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He said they had this thing called Corban. It means it's a gift. They could declare that their possessions, that their wealth was given to God. But the the loophole was they didn't actually turn over the care of their possessions. They didn't actually turn over their finances to the temple or anything. But it was just declared, everything I have belongs to God. But then what they would do is they would go to their parents and say, Mom and Dad, I know you're going through some hard times. I know you could use some help. But you know what? I can't because everything I have is given as a gift to God. How is that honoring your parents? If you're going to let your parents be destitute and not help them, if you're going to let them go through hardships and, and not be there for them like they were for you when you were young, how is that honoring them? They found a way to dishonor their parents and look good while doing it. 
because they would say, you know what, I'm sorry I can't help you, but you know, you're just, your son's so good that he just gave everything that he had to the Lord. Aren't you proud of having such a spiritual son? And so they found ways to violate that commandment to dishonor their parents and still look good while they did it. Jesus said, look, that's not honoring your parents. You are trampling that command. And so our commands in both action and in attitude are for not just while we're kids, they're for our whole life. There's lots of examples that I can think of right from our our congregation that has been a joy for me to see and to watch people from our congregation step up and take care of parents. I think of Trishy and Fig and being there for Denny consistently. I think of Sandy Jo always getting tested for COVID so she could be a help in with her mom in the, the assisted living. And I think of Kathy countless hours in the nursing home with her mother-in-law. And that's where our faith really bears out. But we need to be there for them in action and in attitude, honoring them as we go. Well, as we continue on from there, we see that, first of all, there's a focus that goes with this. Because it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, the reason that you're obeying your parents is partly because you're in the Lord. You're trying to please God. And if you're pleasing your parents, you're pleasing God. If you're disobeying your parents because God told you to obey your parents, you are disobeying God. And so you need to have that kind of focus. And kids, now parents, where are kids going to get this focus? Us. They're going to get it from you. And that's why we see the same focus on the parents also because it says the children are to obey in the Lord. But then it also says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so children are to do it in the Lord. Parents are to do it with the nurture, discipline, and instruction of the Lord. So they're both to be focused on the Lord as they carry out this parent-child relationship as they experience family life. So children need to be nurtured and admonished to be focused on the Lord and that because of their focus on the Lord, they need to obey their parents and honor their parents. It doesn't just come naturally. It's not going to come just by letting them be who they are. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, the Bible tells us. We need to to discipline and teach and lead them into this. But then also he gives the reasons. The first reason that he gives is it's right. Children, it's the right thing for you to do. To listen to your parents. And you're going to find that doing right is its own reward. When you do what is right, there's just something that just really feels good about that. That feels really good. You feel like you can hold your head up when you're doing things right. It's when we do things wrong that we feel like we need to hang our head. So we need to do it because it's right. Not only do we need to do it because it's right, but we also need to do it because it benefits you. The last part of verse 2, it says this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now Israel was heading into the land, into the promised land, and God says you will be able to stay there long in the land, live long in the land, if you honor your father and your mother. And so it had this direct connection to the land. The point is that God's blessing would be on you and you would be benefited. He said you would have life that was better in quality and in quantity. He says that it may go well with you. It would be a good life. I think what he's saying is that God has built within the fabric of this command a benefit. If you listen to your parents, you're going to have a better life all the way across the board. And you want to know why? Because they're going to tell you not to do some things that are very harmful that you might otherwise have done. They're more concerned about some of the elements of your life than you are. And for good reason. They've been there. It's not the parents that don't understand. It's the kids that typically don't understand. The parents have gone through what you're going through. And not only that, they're predisposed to doing it better for you. You want to know why? Because as they grew up, there were times when they were disgruntled with their parents and they thought, when I have kids, I'm not going to do that. And so if you find them doing that, 
They had to overcome some hurdles to get back to that point, to see the wisdom in it. And so they really are focused on doing the best for you. And that's going to be to your benefit. One of the things that I'll do occasionally when I'm dealing with parent-child relationships in a counseling situation is I'll just ask the young person, what is your life going to be like in 10 years? And they just spend a few minutes of saying, well, yeah, I'm going to have a nice home and I'm going to, I'm going to have a good job and I'm going, to be, I'm going to be married and I'm going to have a couple kids maybe by then. And they'll kind of, this is what I want for my life. Then I'll turn to the parents. What is your goal for your kid for 10 years from now or 15 years from now? And you know, they don't usually have specifics, like I want them to be a, a rocket scientist or a, or a brain surgeon or a mechanic. They don't usually have a specific interest, but they want them to be responsible adults and they want them to have good jobs and they want them to have a good home. And you know what you find out is you find that you end up with a young person sitting there watching their parents repeat back to them all the things that they picked for their own life. And then I just like to point out, I, look, did you see that? Do you realize that your goals for your life and your parents' goals for your life are the same? And then that's when I say, you know what, there's one big difference. You know what the difference is? Your parents know how to get there. And you so far, not so much. You're just learning. God built a family in such an awesome way because you've got people that have gone through exactly what you want to accomplish. They're they're there. And so they can give you the best advice on how to get there. That's why their antennas are up. Boy, if they see you in a relationship that they think is going to be a harmful relationship for you, their antennas are up and they're like, oh no, this is this is not good. Pay attention when your parents' antennas are up on something. Whether it's a relationship or whether it's an experience or a situation or no matter what it might be. Because they're working off of a whole lot more experience than what you are. And so you know what? The fact of the matter is, is if you obey your parents, you listen to your parents, it's going to save you from a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. There are a lot of hurtful things in this world that you will never participate in if you just listen to your parents. There's a lot of benefits that you will gain. And yes, they are benefits. They are things that affect the length of your life. Now, secondly, we have the responsibility of the parents. In this passage, dealing with the parents, it has a negative and then a positive. And so it starts off by saying, look, don't agitate. Don't provoke them to anger. It's kind of interesting that it doesn't give any specifics. In other words, don't provoke them to anger by doing this or by doing that. And I think the reason for that is is that uh, kids are different. And so one of our rules as we were raising our kids that we came across was, we said, you know what, we're going to treat all of our kids the same by treating them different. Because, you know, we had to recognize that our kids were different from one another. It was different to raise boys than it was to raise girls. And I don't care how politically incorrect it is, that's just the reality of it. If you've ever had boys and girls, you know it. We couldn't raise the boys exactly the same way we raised girls in order to do it fairly. And evenly, but even within the kids and amongst the boys, they have different temperaments, different personalities. You got to watch your kids because one of my kids, I could I could push at something and they would just be encouraged. They would be strengthened by it. Another kid, if I push them, they're going to get overwhelmed and they're going to feel stressed out. And it's just because of something within them. And so parents, it's going to be different things for different kids, but you got to watch your kids and see how they're reacting. And, and, and you got to really know them. To do what the Bible is telling us to do. And this was revolutionary at the time that the Apostle Paul said it. Because in the Roman culture, it was not about reading your kids and giving them what they needed. The father in the Roman household had absolute say, even over life and death, within their home. It wasn't about evaluating your child, really getting to know your child to see what they needed. It was about with an absolute hand directing your child. The Apostle Paul came along and told Christian families, look, you need to make sure you're not provoking your child to wrath. Some kids are going to get provoked by being pushed too hard. Some are going to be provoked by being neglected. I can remember times as a parent where I would push a kid sometimes up to a point and then later I would be like, 
I just pushed them too far right there. Now, you might still have the same outcome or the same hope in mind, but some kids, some kids you can kind of push to things and other kids you got to lead into those things. In fact, that's kind of what it says here. It says, don't provoke them to anger, but bring them, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, you know, I, there were things in, in our child rearing that we found just very practical helps. And it was through a class that we took at the time, Growing Kids God's Way. But, you know, one of the things that, that we found was that they gave us it was a help was just uh, when we'd call our kids. Because it used to be we'd just say, hey, you know, go clean your room, Dan or Tim or whatever. And, and we noticed that they didn't go clean their room. And then we'd be a little bit irritated. So then we'd kind of yell at them and then they'd be a little bit irritated. And, and it just wasn't always a good situation. But in the class, they told us, you know what, call their name and have them come to you and respond to you. Yes, mom or yes, dad. And then you know you've got their attention. They said, because you know what, the fact of the matter is, they hear your voice a lot during the day and it's not always directed at them. And so when you say, go do this and then throw their name on the end of it, all they really paid attention to was their name. And so they don't know what they were told to do. And you know what, we found that that made a huge difference in our our house within one week. We started calling their name. They would come running over to us. Say, yes, mom, or yes, dad, would put them in kind of the right attitude. And then we'd tell them what to do. It got rid of some confusion. It got their attention first. And then their understanding that from that point on, they're responsible. Another thing that we did to overcome some of this was, you know, when your kids want you, like at church or something like that, and you're talking to somebody else, and your kids come up and they start to interrupt. And we didn't want our kids to interrupt. That's That was rude, so we didn't want them doing that. And this class gave us some tools there. They said, teach your kids to put their hand on your hip. And so we taught our kids to do that. It was great because they would come up and put their hand on your hip. When you felt their hand on your hip, you would take your hand and put it on their hand. And what they were taught was that when I put my hand on your hand, I'm telling you, I know you're there. And as soon as there's a break where I can do it in a polite way, I'm going to get to you. You're important to me. And that was really cool because kids would come in, they put the hand on the hip, you put your hand on their hand, they feel acknowledged, they know it's coming, nobody gets interrupted, it doesn't build to a time of frustration. It was just a, a really helpful tool for being able to not provoke your children to wrath, but just to put a system in place that can help you to not do that. And that's what we need in our parenting. We need to be learning our children. And not that the whole world's going to revolve around them, but this will help us to make ways to bring them in with the rest of the world in the direction that they should be heading and to do it in a way that keeps our family in a unity, keeps our family in, in some harmony, and we can impact our children in that way. So we need to not agitate, but then it says what we need to do, it says we need to lead. Notice it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, the word is the word father, but the word can also be used of both mother and father. So in this passage, um, it's hard to be dogmatic on it, but it seems that it's probably referring to both mother and father to not provoke their children to wrath because he's already been addressing mother and father both together in the passage right before this. So it's probably, and it obviously would apply to both of them at any rate. But you know, I do find it interesting that he does use the word for father here. Because fathers, I think we have a bigger tendency to provoke our children to wrath than the moms do. Moms tend to, from the moment that child comes out, they're studying them. Throughout their life, they're watching them kids. They're watching their child that's growing up. And they're, they're learning what their personality is developing like. And they're, they're studying that child. Dads, not quite as much. Now, typically, dads aren't around them as many hours either. But dads, that's just not us. We're, we're different than moms in that way. 
We got our focus on some little bit different things. We can kind of trample our kids to get them. You know, we're <laughs> kids not moving fast enough. We're kind of picking them up and moving them along and that kind of thing. And we can be the ones that are more likely to act quicker, to jump in before we know the whole situation. Maybe to provoke our children to wrath quicker than the moms are. Moms are a little bit more gentle with their feelings and all that kind of stuff. And and so I think there can be a tendency where we would struggle with it a little bit more. Not only that, fathers, you know how important it is to lead. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them along. You know, fathers, you're the head of your home. You need to be leading your family in all the different areas. You need to be taking the spiritual headship of your home. You need to be leading your children and your grandchildren, your family, for the things of God. But you know what? As you look around, we're struggling with that. If you look around, when you look at throughout church, the church is predominantly, when you look at the people active in it, women. And there might be some cultural reasons for that. But it's kind of interesting. You say, well, what, how do we get to this point? we got an institution that was started by one man, Jesus, started among 12 men, the apostles, and we get to this point where the male leadership within the church in many churches kind of drifts. It's the same way within the family. When you look within the family, who is doing the spiritual nurturing of the children? More often, it's the mom with that focus, without stepping up. And kudos to you ladies. I'm not, I'm not tearing you down at all. Men need to step up. Men need to be there. If your children are going to be strong spiritually, you need to be strong spiritually. The statistics bear it out. I can't remember what the number was, but I remember Chad Peterson shared with us years ago uh, the, the impact of if the mom takes the, the kids to church or if the dad takes the family to the church, how many of the kids end up consistently in church in their own adult life. And it was a staggering number that was uh, higher where, where the dad is taking the whole family to church. And it's a whole family deal. Not, not where dad's left at home. I spent a little bit of time this weekend thumbing through just on the internet and, and looking more and more into the issue of fatherlessness, not just within the commun- church, but within the, within the community. And in our communities, the statistics are staggering in dealing with fatherlessness. If we don't have fathers engaged in their children's life, if they're out of the home or if they're in the home but neglecting of their position in their children's lives, it's astounding to see that how much higher percentage of people in fatherless homes and cultures that end up in prison, that end up dropped out of school, pregnancy, drug addictions, drug abuse, every negative category. And in fact, there are even statements of that that said across the board, fatherlessness has a huge negative impact on our society in every dimension that you want to measure it in. So, you know, the Bible is calling both parents to be engaged, but at this realm seems to be a place where fathers drop off. And you know what, fathers, we can not. You can't leave a ship sailing in the ocean with nobody at the wheel. You need to be at the wheel. We need to be there for our kids. And it, and it uses, again, when it gets into how we lead them, it uses a positive and a negative term. It says in the discipline. It's actually, uh, the root word is from the word child, paidon, but it involve, involves both positive instruction and correction. In other words, you're not just correcting them when they blow it. You're trying to guide them in the right path. It's just like God told the Israelites back in the day. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and verses 4-9, through nine, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, so, so far He's told them, look, you need to be real in your faith. Have the Word of God within you. Now He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents, first of all, you need to have the Word of God in you. You need to have a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ. Then you need to pass that on to your kids. And you know how you do it? You do it every day. You do it while you're walking along. You do it when you're sitting in your house. You're doing it when you're getting up to go do something. Everything that you do. This is why we do this. We're going to honor God in this way. We're going to, and you take the lead, and you lead them there. I remember listening to a lady one time talk about. She was talking about uh, raising her kids, and and she said uh, she had friends that asked her, "Well, how do you get your kids to go to church?" And she says, "Well, I put them in the car and I take them there." <laughs> and you know what? That's that's what we need to do as parents. We need to lead our children. We need to make sure we're not provoking them to wrath. We don't want to provoke them to wrath, but we want to lead them down the right path. That's going to mean some correction. That's going to mean some discipline. It's going to mean some instruction positively. But every day, we need to be thinking about how can we lead our kids, our grandkids, down the right paths. How can we equip them so that when our kids and grandkids have kids and grandkids of their own, they're still teaching them the same things. That's our goal.